I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes 3. Welcome to Heroes 3, the bi-weekly kind of podcast where three friends explore the best, worst, and everything in between in the world of Asian cinema. And uh, this week we are back and <laughs> ready after after our little uh, our little break there because it was just taking a long time to get everything in line because we are finally tackling uh, arguably as big as Bruce Lee, um, and that is Godzilla, starting, of course, with the original Godzilla. Uh, from 1954, sometimes you'll see the original Japanese one referred to as Gojira, Gojira. if you're looking around. So, but yeah, we are starting with this, and this is this is all Carlos. So, oh, no. uh, <laughs> yeah, so, definitely bigger so footprints say, to fill than than even Bruce. I think we'd have to say bigger, more <laughs> yeah, radioactive footprints. Yeah, that's true. Physically bigger for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, yeah. I'm I'm very excited about this. I'm pretty nervous going into this, but I mean. Godzilla is like a huge, literally like a, a giant pop culture footprint, and um, literally I mean, a monster of pop culture. Yeah, I mean, I can turn it right back around on you guys right away and just ask you guys like how how was Godzilla introduced to you in your lives? You know, everybody's gonna have their own story, and I mean, for yeah. me, it almost seems like it was a passive thing. It was just like yeah, a thing always, that was just always around. there. I mean, it's mm-hmm. it's got to yeah. be one of the most like primal cultural touchstones and yeah. i have a feeling mm-hmm. that i i'm i'm trying to imagine anyone in my life that would pause or hesitate at all if you use the word godzilla it's a short like everyone seems to know what that is even though yeah. my guess is it's a minority of those folks that have actually like engaged with any of the godzilla movies at this point um so mm-hmm. Super interesting. Yeah, it's similar to Bruce Lee, too. You know, you get into a conversation with somebody, and you mention Bruce Lee, and they're like, oh, yeah, Bruce Lee's awesome. But then when you start to peel those layers away, you know, maybe they've only seen Enter the Dragon or something like that. And when it comes to Godzilla, there's so many films. And um, honestly, comparing it to something that we've covered already, um, I guess I could only really think of Zatoichi, who, I mean, also had music uh, by Akira Ifukube. Yeah, I I saw that, which I was like, oh, hey, cool. There's a nice little connection there. Yeah, yeah. But uh, something like that, that it just spanned over decades. And um, I think now we're we're passing we're i mean we're almost getting towards like 40 films of godzilla um wow. and you could include stuff like you know tv shows and netflix yeah, series that's, and that's what i was gonna say was that my um obviously i had, I had heard of godzilla as a kid because it's just kind of like an er piece of <laughs> right, yeah. right but um but uh, I, I the the biggest thing for me is because whenever I was a kid was whenever that very terrible uh, what was ninety nine Godzilla the American yeah, ninety eight the ninety eight Godzilla yeah. movie came out yeah mm-hmm. um and uh so like that was I was around a lot whenever there were all that marketing was out and there was a the children's TV show for some reason uh, yeah it was yeah, based it was... around it and I remember watching that as a kid and honestly um, I think that. That that series, not to get too into things, but that series kind of did um, kind of pick up the torch in a way that that movie didn't. That the movie is like its own nonsense and it's a huge mess. And I actually did revisit it maybe a year or two ago. And yeah, it's 
It's a bad if, time, but I do if feel... We, if we were recording this earlier in the year, we would have probably done a April Fool's of it. But... Yeah, yeah. I, I, I feel like, um, I, I guess, like, like you're saying right here, if you talk to people, I think that's one of the more common touchstones that people have for people for people our age. It was everywhere. Yeah. Like, it was a huge marketing yeah. you know, juggernaut. Yeah, I remember, like, the Taco Bell dog had Godzilla commercials. Yep. And, um, <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a nice nice little Venn diagram there. Yep. And um, for for us also, I feel like, we, we yeah, we should say here that Godzilla, the original film of Godzilla came out in 1954, which mm. is a generation or a generation and a half or two generations yeah. back for us, like our parents or our grandparents yeah. now, people listening to the podcast. My- yeah. My parents weren't alive whenever the first Godzilla yeah. came out. So. Right. And it, it's continued to live on in different forms. And it's going to be really fun going forward after this episode. Well, this episode really talking about where this film came from and where it, you know, takes us. And moving forward, obviously, we can't cover 30 films. But yeah. we're going to try and cover a lot of that ground and talk about Godzilla and talk about how it's influenced uh more than just Japanese cinema, but you know, cinema across the world. Dude, this and is, this actually, is so exciting, man. Yeah, yeah. It's it's <laughs> yeah. actually pretty cool to me to talk about it because I, a lot of people think, you know, it's like kind of a West versus East situation. And um actually those roots are tied together in a lot of ways that people don't <laughs> know. And it's similar to other things that we've talked about before. Like, I mean, going back to uh, when we talked about um, like Japanese cinema with like Yojimbo and like yeah, Fistful like of Dollars, like the cross and, of influence mm-hmm. back and forth. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So we can get into that a little bit right now. And I've done a lot of dumb note taking, but Dude, I don't want that to. I don't want it to really dominate what we're doing here. I want to still really have fun with it. But mm-hmm. I mean, first and foremost, uh, we really have to shout out King Kong, nineteen thirty three, yeah. RKO Films. King Kong, uh, Willis O'Brien, the man that handled the special effects behind that, was a legend. And before that, he did a film called The Lost World in 1925. And these films were incredibly influential to uh, what Godzilla would become. So we have to also mention um, these creators here. So Ishiro Honda is a director, and the special effects are directed by Eiji Tsuburaya who um, basically is the godfather of tokusatsu, like special effects in cinema in Japan, and, I mean, honestly, beyond that. So Tsuburaya was really influenced by King Kong. It was one of his favorite things in the world. He actually owned the film on 35 millimeters. This is in a time where you can't just go to Blockbuster and rent a movie, right? right? right. Uh, if you saw a film, you saw it in the theater, and that was the only place you saw it. You couldn't even see it on TV at the time, right? And um, it entranced this man, and it really drove him to uh, do special effects in movies. He had already been, uh, by by 54 right here, like, hmm, let's see. I'm actually going to have to pull these notes out, right? So <laughs> um, in uh, 
King Kong's 33. <laughs> and uh, in 33, like, uh, Subarai was already 32 years old and he already had been in the movie industry for quite some time. So, um, like I said, he owned the film and he studied it thoroughly. He didn't have, like, any notes. So he's basically watching the movie and trying to learn how they did it by watching it, which is amazing. Wow. And I don't know if you guys have seen it, uh, you know, recently, but um, I think the film holds up really well. It's a really entertaining time. And um, I need to revisit it because I think I tried like a bit ago and I feel like I've, I'm a little more well versed in kind of how to watch old movies now. Yeah, dude, you got that. To. I, should, I should get another shot. I have seen the Peter Jackson one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which is a different beast altogether. Yeah. And although, like, although shockingly similar in, in a lot of ways. Yeah. So. I, I think King Kong in a much lesser comparison is similar to Godzilla in that, you know, over the generations we've gotten different interpretations and even now we're in the middle of uh another cycle of that with right. king yeah. kong and godzilla a, there literally was a, another a different king kong and godzilla movie yep. last year so yeah. i think that's all really fun yeah mm -hmm. but um so in 1933 we've also got ishiro honda begins working at pcl photographic chemical laboratories and this is thanks to a man named iwao mori who he met at nihon university he was studying in a film program which was actually kind of like a bare bones situation he uh he basically was kind of mori took notice of his skills and um he kind of used this um uh university program to kind of find good talent so he had a, a little group of people called the friday party and through that um uh ishiro honda met other like-minded people and got excited about film um uh and then he started working at pcl so unfortunately <laughs> one year later in 1934 ishiro honda was drafted into the japanese army wow. and that's going to be something that really uh yeah, sidetracks him for uh up until well, it changes after the, the war. directory of his his whole philosophy, yeah. I imagine. Yeah, so he would have uh he ends up being drafted three times during the course of World War Two. And he sta he was stationed in China for quite a bit of that time and actually um he uh would he was ordered to run a comfort station, which is uh, a term that they used for, for a brothel. And um, he he served out his time, but it was um, basic sentiment is that he he was against the war, but he was serving it out and doing his best to survive through this. And um, actually, I, I haven't mentioned it yet, but the book that I've been reading that's been really informative for me is a book called Ishiro Honda, A Life in Film from Godzilla to Kurosawa. It's by Steve Rifle and Ed Godzicheski. And um, man, if if you want to. If you like Godzilla mm -hmm. and you want to learn about Ishiro Honda, there's nothing else to buy, really. Um, it's, cool. it's it's super great. And um, this actually, like, Honda's time in the war is kind of like a, something he didn't really like to talk about. But they were able to uh, get some information from stuff that his wife had and stuff that his granddaughter had. Actually, um, I can go into that a little bit, too. So this book that they wrote actually came about because... They were in Japan making a film called uh, Bringing Godzilla Down to Size, which is a really cool little documentary. And uh, in the midst of filming this, they actually ran into uh, Honda's son. 
and they didn't even expect this to happen. And then once they started talking to him about it, he uh, brought up the notion of wanting to do like a biography on his father. And that's how this book came about. So, um, yeah, it's, it's really cool. But yeah, so like they go into the war and stuff. Um, like I said, I didn't want to take over, but I'm taking over. I'm talking. No, dude, much. it's so fascinating. <laughs> no. no, it's 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 so interesting. Like I knew that I knew that Honda had so much. Like basically, had kind of been thinking about this for a long time, and had been like mulling over in his head for yeah, decades. But I didn't realize just how much. Right, it's a combination of things because I think that definitely his time at the war, uh, it informed what would what you'd see in Godzilla, but that's not all of what really informed what made that movie so um uh i guess yeah so he he's he served three terms and actually his third term in uh in china he was captured as a prisoner of war and it, it got to the point that he he had developed like relationships so he was actually treated pretty well and actually it was uh, to the point where he wasn't actually sure if he would come back to Japan. One, he wasn't sure if his family was even still alive, which is messed mm-hmm. up oh <laughs> to <God>. think about. <laughs> yeah. But two, like his time there was wasn't as bad. That yeah, no, that's you know, that's um that's a weirdly com- that's a that's not to divul- divert into World War Two history. Um, but yeah, that's that's a weird thing that like you know obviously what america did to japan was a you know an atrocity war crimes and all that but japan also was committing lots of war crimes to china right and and china was it's obviously in another propaganda movie we watched itman um yeah. <laughs> talked about how uh the chinese were kind of the underdogs in, in that regard and it's yeah they they probably treated their prisoners of war better than the japanese treated their own soldiers yeah and, a lot of ways right it's really all that stuff is so interesting yeah um, and especially how you see it kind of reflected in in the media that came out of uh especially japan but in yeah, china totally. as well yeah so that's why we do this podcast <laughs> yeah and uh honda wouldn't make it back home until after so 1946 um in between that time though thir- 34 to 46 um, we've also got Eiji Subaraya. So he uh, was in Japan working on films and um, Iwao Mori, the, the producer that I was talking about um, at PCL, um, PCL would become Toho Films and uh, Godzilla here made by Toho. Um, mm-hmm. He hired Eiji Subaraya because he uh, understood the importance of special effects in films, and Subaraya was already, like I said, pretty obsessed with and trying to do what he could. So um, Subaraya ended up doing uh, effects work in propaganda films during the war. These are um, like uh, the government was kind of commanding companies to do these things. But uh, the effects work that he did was so good that um, one, it kind of aroused suspicion of like, kind of insider knowledge <laughs> and two uh there's stories of that footage being used in like pearl harbor documentaries it was um so good at the time um a, a specific film called the war at sea from hawaii to malaya from 1942 is a kind of a, a popular example of that and i think that even on subaraya's wikipedia page there's a link to just straight up watch it. You can just watch the whole movie. It's subtitled. There. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So, okay. Uh, let's see. 1944, we're still in the middle of the war. Subaraya meets Toho producer Tomoyuki Tanaka, who um, I, I would say there's four people really behind Godzilla. So 
I mean, four main names that you kind of want to know is Ishiro Honda, Tsuburaya, Tomoyuki Tanaka, who would be kind of a, a very faithful producer for Honda, and um, also Akira Ifukube, the composer that we mentioned. Um, so Tsuburaya meets Tanaka and his first production, uh, the war film Until the Day of Victory, and it was directed by Mikio Naruse. So uh, now in 46, Honda's back from the war. He, he finds a job at, at, at Toho, and he's an assistant director now. So another figure that we should mention is uh, Kurosawa, Akira Kurosawa. So yeah, he definitely. didn't serve, and um, yeah, what, what, what I found out, I mean, I kind of knew it, but I found out a lot more thanks to the book is that these two guys were super tight. They were like homies. And they're kind of opposite sides of the same coin because uh, Kurosawa is pretty known for being very, um, I guess, fired up on the set. And uh, <laughs> Honda is kind of a quiet type. And actually, he he always was very um, calm and collected whenever he'd be on set. Even if he had maybe some frustrations or disappointments, he never had uh, stories about him blowing up or anything like that. So he actually ended up uh, working as an assistant director for Kurosawa and the film Stray Dog, which is really great. I don't know if you guys have seen it. Uh, Toshimi Fune plays a cop that loses his gun, basically, and he's he's on the run, like oh, hunt I've heard, for like, like amazing things about the film. But yeah, yeah it's it's that. yeah, it's a great movie. Um, actually, there are scenes in the film that are directed by uh honda there and actually he he's a stand-in for mifune in some some shots oh, cool. yeah, oh, which is, is yeah really really exciting um but he's basically playing catch-up because everybody else here now like i said kurosawa is a director i think stray dog is like his ninth film um also we've got uh subaraya so in 1948 subaraya was basically blacklisted for the work that he did those propaganda films during the war. And um, so he's kind of like out of the picture for a little bit, but obviously he wants to uh, work in that exile wouldn't really be lifted until 1952. So um, 1952 um, by now you've got uh, Honda. He's already done a couple of uh, films of his own. He's directed a film called Isashima, which is like what they call a culture film. It's basically a documentary. And it's a it's an interesting thing here because um, even though we're talking about a documentary, this is about um, pearl divers from a town in eastern Mie Prefecture. And in this film, to capture that, he actually helped come up with like an enclosure for a camera to shoot underwater, and that's something that hadn't been done in Japanese cinema. So even here, you're 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 seeing him trying to push forward and his love for film and trying to really change you know like break break new ground so it's really exciting to to think of that and uh the film following that is a film called the blue pearl and it's a drama but he's expanding on these ideas from the Isashima film so it's more about kind of like traditions clashing against modernity but it also takes place in that kind of same setting with that he's kind of building and actually like some of these ideas like when you think about godzilla um you know towards the end of the film we're talking about a diving situation too and like the whole like finale is basically kind of capitalizing on that underwater filming you know dude that's amazing yeah 
So um, in 1952, like I said, the exile was lifted for Subaraya, and um, he uh, helped Honda on a film called The Skin of the South. There's like a typhoon sequence, and uh, he did all the special effects that year uh, for that film. And um, later that year, um, actually, Subaraya, Honda, and Tanaka would work together on a film called The Man Who Came to Port, which is a film called... Uh, star starring Toshiro Mifune, and I'm trying to remember. I think uh, Takashi Shimura also is in that film. And they kind of play, and this is another situation too, where it's like a older traditionalist versus kind of a, a modern modern character, Toshiro Mifune's character. And um, also in the 1952, we're we're getting there, guys. We're almost there. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's a very important thing because uh, RKO's King Kong was re-released in theaters. And it was like I said, um, you know, you, you can't just watch something on TV. You can't really rent a movie anywhere. So um, having this release, I mean, 1952 to 1933, you've got you know, 20 years of not seeing this film and maybe people, you know, have nostalgia for it or whatever. Um, and it's even more successful in this new release. So this is like really kind of building on these, this excitement that leads up to Godzilla. And, and, and I'm I, sure there were people had, there's so many more people had access to a theater. And yeah. like, cause a lot happened in that 20 years, <laughs> yeah, especially, especially in Japan. Jeez. Right. Culturally. And yeah, just culturally. Like, and just like technologically, like mm. roads and trains. I'm sure there was hundreds of trains that didn't exist 20 years before that did then. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, the building blocks for Godzilla here. So uh, uh, Tomoyuki Tanaka was actually, he flew out to Indonesia to uh, help. They, they were trying to do a co-production film called In the Shadow of Glory, but actually Indonesia was hesitant. So that deal fell through, and it was really unfortunate because it was going to be a huge film for Toho. They had a lot of money put into it. And all of a sudden, this wasn't going to happen anymore. So he's kind of in a panic. And on his way back, there's this story that he's told where he's he's looking out his plane window and he's looking down to the ocean. And he has a thought that, hey, what if nuclear testing awakens a beast from under the sea? And that's that's like an idea for the film. Um, the, the other thing that we should say, too, is that um, uh, in March... Like it's like March first, nineteen fifty four. Uh, there's an incident that was a real incident that happened that really inspired what became Godzilla. It's a, a fishing boat called the Lucky Dragon Number Number Five mm, yeah. was kind of caught in fallout, um, and uh, the the fishermen were all uh, they all received like radiation poisoning, and actually one of them died. So these kind of ideas were kind of really boiling in Japanese culture post-World War II. Um, the other thing is that there was a film uh, in 1953 released called The Beast from 20,000 Fathoms. And uh, this film, um, it's a Ray Harryhausen, like, um, you know, like, he was also in influenced by like Willis O'Brien and would come to work with him. Right, and right. Um, when you think of stop motion animation, like Attack the of the Titans and Jason, yeah. Yeah, Jason and the Argonauts and stuff like that, um, an incredible, incredibly influential character in uh, special effects. Um, he did the effects for this film, and it's basically about a nuclear 
test that awakens a monster and that monster <laughs> then comes to the city and wreaks havoc and um the idea for that was really what spurred uh Tomoyuki Tanaka to kind of come up with the idea for Godzilla so eventually that would develop into its own thing and i think that the two films are very different even though you can really simplify them in a similar way so uh yeah here we are so 1954 we've got all these pieces put together and uh, Ishiro Honda is set to direct. He was originally not going to be the director. Uh, that uh, Indonesian film was going to originally be directed by Senkichi Taniguchi. But he backed out. And um, one of the factors was Honda's wartime experience. Uh, that pos- positioned him to be perfect to direct this film. So <laughs> it's a lot. And I've been talking no, for dude, a while. It's such a beautiful <laughs> runway. And I think it's really yeah. I think it's really crucial that um honestly for any piece of cinema that asks us to look backwards, paradoxically, uh we I think it's better to almost approach it from the other direction like we've like we've just done. And dude, I, I'm just realizing I I think there's I have this really crazy story that uh I probably haven't shared with either of you. But when this would have been in the early nineties. I was a little kid and uh, my dad's a historian and a history teacher. And sometimes he would lead these kind of historical tours for different aficionados. And um, growing up, he did those a lot in kind of the area where we live in Minnesota. Um, but sometimes he would do tours of Washington DC and some other places. And um, there was this one summer where I went, with he and his friend who were leading this tour in Illinois and we were taking the train. So we were at the Amtrak station in Minnesota, um, like en route to Illinois. And at that point I was like this avid drawer and I had just like sketchbooks with me wherever I went. And also just different like movie magazines, you know, just all the kind of geeky stuff. And I was sitting at this bench inside the train station and drawing. And I think I was probably drawing like something like from the movie magazine and this old man that was sitting nearby, like scooted next to me and was asking me about what I was drawing. And if, um, and then started to talk to me about movies and what do I like about movies and this and that. And Uh then the guy ends up revealing that he's, he, uh, and this was like an old man at the time. I I would say like late seventies or maybe even verging on uh, like his eighties and then he proceeded to tell me that it's like years and years ago, I worked on special effects on this movie called King Kong. Um, <laughs> yeah, no joke. And then I was, it was, it was just me kind of sitting ne- next to him. And so then at that point, like my dad and my dad's friend Dave like perked up and then they kind of came over and they're like, oh, sir, what is this you're talking about? And wow. I, maybe, maybe my dad wrote down his name at the time. Like, Years later, I I tried searching because there's a little bit of information on, uh, you know, some of the crew, um, mm. that that worked on it, and uh, but I mean, it, it wasn't Willis O'Brien. Willis O'Brien died before this uh this point yeah. in time. But anyways, mm-hmm. it was just a just a crazy crazy story, yeah. and it definitely that definitely sparked something in me at a young age to realize like, oh wow, there are like that's... amazing people that make these things, and yeah, that's um, awesome. Probably changed like how I looked at at special effects and everything. But that's crazy. Um, yeah, just I wonder. Yeah, I wonder which Godzilla he was referring to. Because... Oh no, King Kong. He was King Kong. I mean, yeah, yeah, I'm sorry, King Kong. Right, right. I wonder which version it was that 
that he worked on. No, yeah, the yeah. original, the original uh, Archeo Classic. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So yeah, just bonkers. But also, I mean, yeah, amazing to think of like how each of these films influences one another. And and I love this timeline that you've drawn out because I think it's really important to get in the mind of you know an individual artist uh, mm-hmm. and to kind of see his journey and the different crazy turns and um, in his life's trajectory that yeah. totally influenced this film dude i'm i'm so, so i'm so glad that that we're watching this because i i know that i've watched the original godzilla years ago but i've got to say this is another case where the crazy huge reputation of you know the legendary thing totally overshadows and masks this movie, which is like just a freaking great piece of cinema and like oh, yeah. so well judged and really um, just the term gets over- overused, but it is like a masterclass and like suspense and what you reveal and mm. how you set the tempo. And you get the sense that is kind of absorbing some of those lessons from King Kong and honestly really elevating them as far as the storytelling goes. And this is really not at all a far cry from say like I don't know Spielberg's taste in Jurassic Park I would say like that sense of I don't know what's really worth sort of holding back and and even just the point of view there's there's like this I don't know this is this like documentary quality um mm. to the camera and just the the aesthetic of the film that I think is really mm-hmm. I don't know really powerful and also just grateful that we have amazing transfers of it <laughs> like the movie just looks so, yeah no, so the, like romantic it, or something it's just great it looks so good and it's so accessible because you can you can watch this on youtube free with ads um and if you have yeah, uh if you have firefox and uBlock origin then you can watch it without ah, ads <laughs> so um innovation but yeah modern problems call for modern solutions but yeah but it's the it's the criterion trans transfer yeah. and it looks so good we're also living with, yeah, another uh, Criterion set here. So Criterion released the Showa-era films, which, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so basically over the years, um, they basically qualify quantify the Godzilla films in the Japanese eras. Uh, so there's the Showa era, which goes up to like kind of like the mid-70s or like mid-80s. And that's based on the Emperor, Emperor. right? Yes. Because Showa is what they call, we call him Hirohito, but it's uh, Showa. Right. Is so like then the fo- yeah, the following era would be the Heisei era. And mm-hmm. then we're now in the Reiwa era. Yeah, so they kind of use that to help segment a lot of different things, not just Godzilla. But um, yeah, so um, I like what you were talking about, about how the film is kind of what people think the film is compared to what it actually is. And actually one of the other things that I was going to say is like, um, I think another, there's really no equivalent in the States, but one of the things I think, and it sounds stupid, but I, I do really think is a good comparison is, um, two Stallone things. <laughs> no. oh, dude, one, on. one, one is yeah. Rocky and one is Rambo, yeah. the two biggest things that he's known for. So if you think about both of these series of films, I, I get what you're going you with. Know, this. Dude, no, Rambo, I love this. The first Rambo is just a tragic story about yeah, a war an veteran. And like, it's like got strong. Piece, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then 
you know, as and, the series... And Rambo kills one person, and it's a very serious scene yeah. <laughs> when it happens. As the series goes on, it turns into a cartoon parody of itself. Yeah. yeah. You know? The same thing, it, to a lesser degree, with Rocky, I would say, mm-hmm. because Rocky yeah. 1 is a very heartfelt, character-driven yeah. film, and um, it's kind of an interesting take on what you'd expect, like, kind of a sports movie to be. And then yeah. as yeah, it's those more of movies, like a Sundance movie or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah, mm-hmm. it's a lot more like kind of arty and indie and very, very dirty, very underground. Yeah. Um, and I, I'd say, you know, as those films continued, they got more cartoonish and kind of both of those kind of lost what the original was. Yeah. And I I'd think with that. with Godzilla, you got this really a strong message. It's not like directly about like Hiroshima, Nagasaki. It's almost really just a a strong message to humanity about the horrors of war and the horrors of nuclear proliferation. Yeah. And uh, Godzilla, the, the creature himself is like a physical manifestation about that danger come to life. And I think that that, that movie handles it so well. And um, it, very quickly after the first film, it turns into uh, more of a child like thing. Um, after this first film, you've got Godzilla Rays again, which is not directed by Ishiro Honda, and it comes out, I think, the next year. It's very quickly put together. Eiji Tsuburai does handle the special effects for it, so if you're looking for something like that, that's cool. Um, and uh, it totally kind of misses the point of what the first film was. Um, <laughs> also, it's like it's uh, you can understand how like how this would happen. I mean, it's the movie is so effective and the effects are, I mean, are just so stunning that people are going to walk away from that. And and it's the title of your movie, but it's, it's almost as though it's like if the star Wars follow-ups were like all about the star destroyer or something, because it's like, (laughs) Oh man, that shot where the star destroyer came over your head and it's so huge and those effects are amazing. But uh, what we remember about star Wars seems to be that those personal characters. And honestly, it's like, it's the character drama of this movie that I think is is so awesome. And mm. it it's like it's what's really working and uh the the threat and the existence of this monster is like what propels so much of the story. And um mm. yeah, I don't know. It's funny how that happens and it's like Godzilla is completely a household name around the world, but I don't know that anyone knows who any of these characters are and i think yeah it's kind of a shame i think mm-hmm. that um the there you know godzilla it's such a popular thing you're going to get critics right so i think uh there are there's a group of critics that will dismiss godzilla because it's a big monster dumb movie gotcha sure. there's also like the fans of that kind of stuff that will dismiss godzilla films because because there's too much people stuff. Like, I don't want to see the people stuff. But <laughs> I think um, that's... Yeah, I want to see the big monsters hit each other. I think that this first film gets all of that so right, though. I think it's an totally. incredibly well-paced film. And I think it, it balances the themes and it balances the kind of allegory so well. Um, yeah. The one thing I should say, too, is that um, at the time, how they handled this was that Ishiro Honda basically directed all of the character-driven stuff. And then Eiji Tsuburaya would handle all the effects sides 
of it. So it's like mm-hmm. basically two teams of directors. And I mean, even within Eiji Tsuburaya's side, he had separate teams working on different types of special effects. And that's like its own whole episode too on the effects of Godzilla. <laughs> and yeah. um, so it's, it's really cool to me um, to see how all of that worked together so well in a yeah. time where you're working on film. You're not... Um, this isn't something that, you know, nowadays you can just see a digital thing. Oh, we got to change that. Oh, we got to redo that. Yeah, Basically, totally. you're you're using your artistic instincts and um, you're trying to do uh, you're trying to live up to vision. And you're also expecting a whole other team of people to live up to that vision as well. So one right. of the other things I should say, too, is that um, there was a lot of preparation for the film and they used a lot of storyboards they basically storyboarded the whole film out and originally when they were coming together thinking about how to do the film um stop motion was on the table and asubaraya basically told them hey if if you guys want stop motion it's gonna take like years for this to yeah, be yeah. completed. <laughs> that's that's what I was thinking. Yeah. Is that's that is a mm-hmm. that, that'd be a slow process. Yeah, or and, a very expensive process. And right? the planning there, you know, is it's it's something like if they hadn't done such an extensive planning, they would have walked right into that, and it would have been a disaster. So, mm-hmm. um, the uh the storyboards and Subaraya's input really drove them to do what they did, and they had to make a suit. So they they the FX crew built a suit, and the original suit weighed like three hundred and fifty pounds or something. Wow. And when yeah, when they did the test um, for the suit actors, which oh yeah, we should say uh, Haruo Nakajima, and uh, let me get his other name. I'm sorry, Haruo Nakajima is the f- name you always hear. Katsumi yeah. Tezuka is the other suit actor, and um, those two men played Godzilla throughout the film. You don't really know who did what. And Haru Nakajima kind of downplayed the other guy. But he's <laughs> he was like the he was the main the main name, the main voice that you'd hear. And Haru yeah. Nakajima was a stuntman within Toho already. And uh sure. Katsumi Tezuka was uh I think he was like a baseball player and oh, wow. he made his way into film. Which oh man, uh the guy from Fist of Fury that worked at Daie Ah crap! I forget his name. Oh yeah. But the guy at the end, he was uh he was also a baseball player, and he ended up working at Die. Anyway. Oh yeah, I remember you. I remember yeah. you mentioned that before. Yeah, because yeah, he plays Daimajin in the Die uh, Kaiju film. So yeah, I don't know. Maybe they were just looking for guys that were in shape, right? And baseball players yeah. are in shape, yeah. and that's a big thing in Japan. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Riki Hashimoto. Yes, thank Dude, you. That's pull. awesome. Good pull. Um. So, uh, yeah, I'm worried we're not going to even be able to talk about this movie. Because <laughs> yeah. there's a lot one. to talk about. I mean, I would yeah. totally be down with that, too. But whatever. So, um, <laughs> besides the suit stuff, besides... Oh, so, so, the suit stuff in, really informed them in how they would do the rest of the special effects in the movie. So, Subaraya ended up making miniatures for the city. So, you have a guy in a suit. You want to have miniatures of Tokyo. So they did a, a lot of work to make these crazy like cityscapes. And there is also the Toho pool that became legendary over the years. So you've got <laughs> these scenes where Godzilla's in the bay or, you know, offshore somewhere. And uh, you just see him like kind of from the waist up. Um, all of these took a lot of work to execute. 
and they were breaking new ground. And um, I said that uh, Subaraya loved King Kong and he had these films and actually gave the film to uh, Haro Nakajima to study uh, so he would be able to get an idea of how to move as Godzilla. And he said also he studied zoo animals to figure this out. And there's a really great bit in the book where he's talking to Honda and uh, uh, Subaraya. And Subaraya's like, I have no idea really like how you should, because this has never been done before. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. act like you're not a man in the suit. Act like you're a machine <laughs> in the suit or something. Oh, dude. And, um, yeah, it was just, you know, not comfortable. And he, there's stories of him passing out. There's stories Isn't of there, him I dumping. Think like photos of him yeah. passing out because, like, oh, obviously man. cameras are rolling. So there's yeah. like Godzilla falling over. <laughs> yep, he would collect like cups worth of sweat inside that mm. outfit. Ugh. Um, wow. Uh, I said that the original suit weighed like 350, and then yeah. uh, they redid a suit, and that one weighed a bit less, but I still think it was like 200 pounds. Wow. Um, there's just so, so dude, much to talk about. It's interesting because I could imagine um, at that first decision to, to pivot and to decide to, to not approach stop motion that it could maybe seem like some kind of concession or compromise. But really, it's win-win, because I think you'd have to say uh, whatever might be, wherever the seams might be obvious with the suitmation, I think it has aged arguably much better than stop motion. Even some of the most celebrated stop motion, I mean, I, I love Ray Harryhausen, but I think I'd have to say <laughs> that it's, it's, he's more of an aficionado's filmmaker. I don't know that you'd be able to easily, you know, put on clash of the titans for a group of little kids but i think you could put mm -hmm. godzilla on i don't know there's uh yeah i think super super inspired and also just all of the miniature work everything going on um just with the photography is just so successful mm -hmm. yeah exactly the, the photography and the choices that they make um i think really helps sell it it's dark it's almost like a noir in how it's shot a lot of the times especially yeah, there's a lot of really cool like night shots and probably some day for night but like looks really good yeah there's a lot of um obviously it's black and white so it, it plays with with shadow and and silhouettes really cool like and i remember the first because i watched godzilla for the first time not that long ago like maybe mm. five or five or six years ago and um I remember watching it, and the first time you see uh, Serizawa, the doctor, that the, the one-eyed uh, doctor, is like an eye patch. Yeah, yeah. And I remember thinking, I remember seeing him being like, "Oh, okay, this this game, this this game, this this is gonna get a little, this is gonna a little funky." Mm -hmm. I like it, um, but yeah, there's there's a lot of cool like you know people's uh, outfits and kind of design, I guess, as uh, uh, what's the word for that? Uh, wardrobe, like wardrobe and stuff. And, you know, the outfits they yeah. wear are very deliberate. And the, um, yeah, the subtle things like that. So Sarazawa has an eye patch and there's a line in the film where it's like, oh yeah, he was injured in the war. And, yeah. um, you know, that those kind of small things like that inform where that, where the film goes. And I think that all of those character moments are handled really well. Even like, some like secondary like incidental like characters that maybe show up once or twice get these lines that kind of really give you an insight to the history that's leading up to this disaster mm -hmm. that they're going to deal with and i think it's i think it's really cool i also feel like the 
the movie is split into three acts like perfectly you've got the first act of the film which is like playing up mystery and playing up this kind of what what's happening and this kind of um almost like a natural phenomena situation and then uh the second act is the reveal of godzilla and then it builds up to the finale of the second act which is that huge special effects showcase of godzilla making it to land and basically people not really knowing what to do about that they're trying but there's nothing they can really do and then the third act i think is really important because it's completely character driven godzilla doesn't have a fiery finale where he's you know taking out uh, another giant skyscraper or anything like that it's completely driven by the characters that have been built up built up in the first two acts and i think that it pays off incredibly well and it actually lands on the message the allegorical message that honda wants to tell you in the honestly the smartest way it's a timeless thing and i think that um it really does remind me of things like the twilight zone uh, or something like that where it's like totally you're getting like an incredibly powerful message told to you uh, you know two generations back that will really live on beyond beyond the generations that are seeing it it's 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 awesome i love it a lot i i I, yeah i am curious guys like i i kind of do really want to talk about the movie like timeline wise but i also really like where this conversation has gone so i don't know what you guys want to do but i'm down for either Mm. <laughs> honestly i'm cool with just kind of hitting hitting highlights yeah okay like i, I yeah. like the because like yeah you can go we could go beat by beat but i feel like the and yeah the i feel like we're already pretty, kind of underway well with yeah with uh kind of something organic yeah. that it's filmed yeah cool. mm-hmm. yeah cool it would be fun to write it back in the vhs so i guess that's we'll true just, that's we'll just true. hit we it now we could, yeah, that's that's true. It would still be fun. Now. So okay, well, yeah, we'll put it in here. We'll we'll take a look at the back of the VHS. <laughs> the art of war breeds new atrocities as technology advances, but with that, an ancient force is awakened. Mysterious accidents make victims of fishermen and islanders alike, and a paleontologist discovers an unseen threat is creeping its way towards civilization. As this monster of monsters makes its way to Tokyo, the military can do nothing to stop it. A scientist holds the key to victory, but is the cost worth it if it can mean the end of man as we know it? Ishiro Honda and Eiji Tsuburaya join forces to share this heinous tale of humanity and horror. Witness the unstoppable Godzilla! So yeah, we're we're gonna we'll play it fast and loose with the the plot but yeah the plot is is you know straightforward the people uh, see this flash of light and there's you know people are getting radiation poisoning saying there's a giant monster and so they you know send out researchers to try to figure out what's happening the these people in this small village are have a tradition about a, a creature called godzilla and that's uh what leads our our kind of main heroes of a. Uh, Dr. Yamane, his daughter, Emiko, uh, Ogata, and uh, Serizawa to yeah. like kind of coming in and out of the story to figure out what's going on, who is Godzilla, and then trying to stop him. Yeah. And, and, and also, we should say Dr. Yamane, played by Takashi Shimura. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, legend from. Who we, yeah, I don't Rashomon, think we've seen him on the Samurai. podcast, but yeah, Rash, I know him from Rashomon and Seven and then, Samurai. Yeah, Ikiru, he's, he's probably like the. Yeah. 
like yeah pinnacle of his yeah it's it's funny for me because like yeah everybody is like oh he's like the kurosawa guy but when i would see a kurosawa film i'm like oh it's the guy from godzilla yeah (laughs) that's That's when i was yeah he has a very iconic look and i mean he's a wonderful actor oh dude yeah so great and and like we should say it's um, you know, gray haired in the film, he's a doctor. If you look at the cast list for the film, maybe a, a third of the leading players are, are doctors. And it's also something that comes to mind. If, if you go back and rewatch, ja- say something like Jaws, um, or I suppose again, Jurassic Park, it's, um, I don't know. These films aren't infused with like tons of machismo and like soldier fighting, uh, heroes. It's either, um, very relatable, uh, non super humans or mm. humans with tons of specialized expertise. And yeah, um, I don't know. I'm not sure how we keep forgetting <laughs> this lesson. It's like you <laughs> go back to some of the most successful films of all time, and it's, I, don't know, I feel like this is one of those things that's like so crystal clear, like what mm. really works. And, um, I know. Yeah, I don't want to create any friction, but we also have the distance of uh, however many miles between us. But I, I know you you love so much of Pacific Rim, Carlos. But yeah, for me that's <laughs> oh, that's man. another thing where it's like I I would so <laughs> that's true. I so much wanted um, a different kind of focus with the like who sure. are, who are lead characters. No, or... I get you. P- Pacific Rim is will we need to? There's big monsters, so we'll make big monsters and punch them even harder. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's a very different thing to me. It's, yeah, it's like a cartoon, and uh, yeah, but true. I do feel like there's a lot. I mean, yeah, it's a it's kind of a superficial love of. Well, I don't even want to say that. I mean, that's a whole conversation. But it's I also do, like I, however many degrees influenced yeah. by this, and mm-hmm. it's also exciting to talk about. Um, uh, you mentioned earlier going through the timeline that it's a bit more allegorical in terms of how it treats. Uh, Hiroshima and Nagasaki, but I would say compared to some of the early anime that we've touched on, where I feel like it's never overtly mentioned, um, yeah, I was really appreciating that, you know, they they openly mention Nagasaki at one point, and they, they talk mm-hmm. about the bombs. Um, yeah, they say, like, this Godzilla is awake and because they've been testing nuclear bombs. Yeah. Like, although it's exactly. funny they never, they don't explicitly say the United States yeah. is testing bombs. I was going to say that, yeah, because um, uh, what, what I can say about that is that post the war and the American occupation after World War II, there was still, like, this type of censorship that was happening that you hear about in a lot of interviews about this movie. And Mm -hmm. basically they're saying that they would allow people to make films or like um, a material that kind of has like a romantic or like kind of a sad look back, but they wouldn't really let you release something that was pointedly um, critical. And I think that this movie is really smart in how it handles all that. You don't hear anything about the United States at all. And uh, you only hear about the struggle that people have had to deal with it. But even that is almost like an incidental thing. Like what you were talking about, Marty, there's that couple on the train and uh, the lady's almost like kind of casually complaining. Oh, like I survived Nagasaki and now I got to deal with Godzilla. Like that's (laughs) it really shows like the Japanese people in this incredibly strong Mm. light. And it's kind of, I wouldn't call it a high road per se, but it's, 
I don't know. It's kind of this, I think it's tef- a, this it, Teflon response that is, yeah, it's really kind of kind of stunning. And yeah, um, and even know, even yeah. the way the film opens with uh, the the fishermen, and this is directly yeah. calling to that incident, which would be incredibly timely. You know, like I feel yeah, like because even... that's literally Bikini Atoll. Like that that specific testing yeah. at Bikini Atoll was like earlier year. in the year. Like the, yeah. yeah, not even a year. Like. I feel like even now, like in our country, if there was a big movie that came out that had a plane flying into a building, that would be a problem that I feel like culturally people just couldn't handle it. And um, I think that, uh, yeah, the choice is If you did that today, you'd probably be fine. But if you did it in like early 2002, months later, yeah, months Mm -hmm. later, yeah. So yeah, it is really amazing. cool to to see yeah. that. But yeah, that so that incident it really drives these characters into the situation like you were saying, Matthew. So um Ogata is kind of like one of the male leads. He's played by Akira Takarada and um he's accompanied by a woman named Emiko who you find out is uh Professor Yamani's daughter and she's played by Momoko Kochi and uh they've kind of got a relationship and when, as you watch the movie you understand that it's kind of like this forbidden thing but even that isn't really played too far forward um uh she is uh set to marry Serizawa and Serizawa has his own struggles that you find out, out yeah. about shortly later he doesn't really show up in the film for quite some time but um uh, this is like a love triangle. And Ogata, though, he's like a, a naval man. He's like a sailor. And the the missing ships and these disasters out in sea, uh, they pull him into the situation. So he's got to go uh, try to investigate that. So they end up going to an island. It's called Odo Island. And um, it's it's not a real place. But um, a lot of the settings that Ishiro Honda uses in here were settings that he found while he was filming these other films, Iseshima and Blue Pearl. So uh, some of the natives that you see on the island are actually natives. And um, uh, you even see like some of the pearl divers who show up topless. You'll see them in the background of these shots. And um, the other thing, too, is that when we get to the reveal of Godzilla... um, he shows up over the ridge of a mountain and um yeah obviously and it's like daylight and it it's it's maybe not what you would remember or kind of imagine for his reveal but yeah it has the i that was one of those moments that i thought had a real almost like documentary Mm -hmm. like national geographic quality or something yeah and it's about I, i mean i don't know something like a half an hour into the movie when when that happens maybe a little shorter than that but um the other thing that we should say is that there's a lot of compositing and I think that the work that they've done to do composite yeah. shots in this is just amazing. Yeah, and the compositing's like, so good. Yeah, there's stuff that you wouldn't even know. Yeah, for real. There's there's stuff later in the movie where it's like Godzilla going through Tokyo and people running away and it's like it is seamless. Like it yeah. looks so good and it's you know it's easy was it, to Was this AI? I'm trying to remember how they yeah that's exactly what it was (laughs) um man this is this is a this is a tangent um i uh i was i was out of town this weekend and a few places we went had uh like you know obviously had tvs on 
and it drives me up the wall whenever people keep motion smoothing on. Dude, I oh, had to so fix that bad. on this Airbnb TV this weekend. Oh my god, it looks so bad. <laughs> And it was showing like clips from, I forgot what it was, but it was clips from a movie that like, you know, actually looks good. And I was looking at it, it was like, oh, this looks like trash. Yeah, totally. Uh, uh, anyways, don't uh, watch watch this in its original intended 4x3. <laughs> <Right. laughs> uh, it, although it is funny, the um because it's such a good transfer, a lot of the shots look really incredible, but a lot of the shots are like, that kind of looks like a toy tank. <laughs> Right. Yeah, I mean, right. which which has I, its own, I think, which has its own. Its yeah, own there's there's degrees it. of success in the film, but I think yeah. that the long lasting ideas are just how ambitious yes. this movie is. Yeah, that's actually at one point in my notes I said um, I put um, said uh oh that ship's a model not stock footage. <laughs> that's 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 how you know the ship's gonna get got. <laughs> there is some good <laughs> stock footage, but it's interesting, mm-hmm. and you see this a lot with um, contemporary transfers where. The stock footage um, just doesn't oh isn't does, as well doesn't come through the gauntlet the, as well yeah. as the as the original mm-hmm. material. Yeah, there's a little yeah. scene where they're shooting depth charges into the ocean, yeah. and you can see like the naval fleet. That looks like it's like yeah. a type of stock footage. Yeah. Um, but basically, yeah, they're just trying to rustle out Godzilla after they see him for the first time. So uh, Yamane goes back to the. Um, Diet, which is like the uh, Japanese legislature, and ask them. He's like, you know, that. I think the conflict of Yamane is really cool too, because you'd expect something like in like a pulpy sci-fi. There's like kind of like a very driven scientist, and um, mm-hmm. this movie, he's really struggling. You know, it's like to him, we've discovered this amazing thing. That. Yeah, it's like we we discovered yeah. a new species of animal, and the yeah. first thing everyone says is we need to kill this as fast yeah, as possible. Totally. Yeah, so you get to see like him really struggle with with that, and um, I, I think that's that's really great, and it doesn't really overlap with uh, what you find out about Sarazawa, who also is like this kind of conflicted, like guilt ridden mm-hmm. scientist, and um, you learn about him through. Um, uh, uh, Yamani's daughter, and um, she she's driven to him. There's this reporter that wants to find With out awesome more information. Hair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and uh, <laughs> another face that you would recognize from like Kurosawa films. Yeah. And um, Serizawa is really tight lipped about what's going on, but um, he has a moment where he wants um, he wants her to see what what he's been working on and um i think that's also handled really well because um emiko you know she's she's trying to really go and talk to him and be like hey i like this guy yeah, we're, <laughs> and yeah sorry i don't really like like you like that but um do you want to see my he pulls her though? yeah yeah <laughs> he pulls her down to the lab it, and it is like, it is funny be like oh it's cool that you want to break off with me hey let's go downstairs real quick <laughs> yeah. yeah but i think the thing that's really cool is that they don't really show you what it is like yeah um, you yeah, see yeah. her horror you see her react but yeah. they don't reveal that to you so you're kind of carried through with that little string and yeah, um, so that really pays off um, so good yeah. later on in the this, film. This movie is all about the like 
you know the the implication of stuff and you don't get a full payoff until later like it's actually it's the thing that that people always praise jaws for where like you barely ever see the monster and uh in this case you it's it's not a just a technical thing it is a very deliberate like hey we made this awesome monster you're gonna see it but right you know you're not gonna even get a glimpse of it until you know at least 10 minutes in and mm-hmm. that'll only be like his tail so right yeah, totally but that's with this yeah something he did he drops something into a fish tank and something horrible happens and we don't find out until the third act mm-hmm. and she has a great reaction to it she does yeah, yeah. So it's great. like it reminds me of um it, it kind of, have y'all ever seen uh kiss me deadly i haven't Oh um, yeah, okay. a long time ago. Kiss Me Deadly is a good. It, that's a really good noir film um, from a, around the same era, if I remember right. Yeah, but I think you're right. That's there's um, but there's a really great reaction shot in a similar vein, and that made me think of it. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, following this, then uh, uh, she comes back home, and uh, Ogata immediately consents that you know what they wanted to happen didn't happen. And um, she's pretty upset. And um, all of that character-driven drama leads up to Godzilla showing up again. So now Godzilla is slowly making his way to Tokyo. You know, Mm -hmm. he was out in the island, then he's out in the water, and now he's making his way to to Tokyo. And um, I love how he's kind of characterized like almost like a curious animal. There's, There's like a, you know, like... He's like a force of nature that's kind of really drawn to humanity and um they can't really do anything to stop him and it's really humanity's fault that he is showing up. So um I, I think Yeah, it's like, I like Godzilla is so unknowable and like I think yeah, you nailed it, this force of nature and even the um the sort of scientific dilemma that we have in the film of um is it it, should we really rush to kill him or is there something we could understand it? Uh, I think that's super fascinating, but it's interesting that it isn't the I think more expected Hollywood thing of kind of making the monster a character and kind of anthropomorphizing it is like, it's not really asking for our sympathy. It's, it's, it's really kind of just staying at that human level of like dilemma and, I don't know. I it's just I, maybe I'm just finding it all like super <laughs> refreshing or something. No, I yeah. get that because it's it is he is very much a force of nature, and it's like you know they're not trying to anthropomorphize a hurricane or whatever. Like he's he's coming in, and they just have to figure out how to deal with it. He's yeah, not malicious. Totally. He's just he's just that's just. He's just trying to figure out his place in the world. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, this this following scene has him arriving, and there's there's huge commotion, and there's some great composite shots of um, uh, the suit actor in the above on the screen, and then people running away uh, on the bottom of the screen, and then there's the the train conductor, and there's like a whole sequence where Godzilla like steps on the train and grabs the train car, and I, it seems almost like a little kid, you know, like. There's no malice, yeah. really. Even I mean, even though he's doing bad things, you don't get the sense that he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna make you guys pay for this." It's just like right, right. he's just doing what he's doing, and I I think that's handled. Super and again, well. it really um kind of amplifies that the allegory. I think of you know what these recent scientific disasters have 
have wrought. Um, we should also whatever. mention too that there's besides the suit actor, there's like these puppet shots too, where it's like kind of oh, like yeah. um, I mean, it's almost like a hand puppet. It looks like where it's shot from the waist up and kind of looking down. I believe when he first shows up over the ridge, that's a puppet too. Um, there isn't any stop motion there's one shot with a tail that's shot in a way that i could almost think but i don't think there's any stop motion in this film but um yeah you're basically just hoping that he leaves <laughs> you know he shows up does some bad stuff and then he's like all right i'll see you guys later but i'm coming back <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep. that's you were talking about how the um how brute force doesn't win the day and that's that's what we see in the next part because that's right. like the military is out in full force they set up all of these electrical lines to try to shock him and nothing works because he's this unstoppable force of nature um that's and that's speaking of noir that's a almost it, it's weird to say that godzilla is shot in a noir way yeah but no, but I he is because totally he's right like because he it's nighttime and he's being silhouetted next to the to the power lines and it's it's it, it's not dissimilar to humphrey bogart in like the doorway of, of a bar or something yeah. like, no, it's, for it's sure. really cool he just needs a little hat yep as far as character development goes, there's a great there's a great moment here where Ogata is basically telling Emiko, he's like, I'm going to talk to your dad. I'm going to tell him, like, we're a thing. Like, I want to be with you. And then it's awesome. He totally messes up. He right right away. He sits down. And it's like, I think we should kill Godzilla. And the guy's like, what did you say? Get out of my house. <laughs> it's like, dude, you need to lead with a softball, man. <laughs> Yeah, that that made me laugh. Where he literally just talked about how he doesn't like that everyone wants to kill Godzilla. It is one of my favorite uh, moments. I love that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that leads into like the finale of our second act, where um, now really uh, Subaraya and uh, his crew just really get to show you everything they can do mm -hmm. uh, in this movie right now. I, I like, yeah, you were talking about the electrical wires and those towers. In this scene, Godzilla uses his atomic breath which makes you feel even more helpless and um yeah they show those towers melt and yeah what I, what i learned that's is that's a really cool yeah i'm, I'm curious to hear because i was wondering what they did for that yeah those are made of wax and they put the the studio oh. lamps on them and and heat them up oh, they and they melted they melted so i think oh, it's so cool really yeah. really yeah. effective yep and um you know to to show there's a combination of things so to, to show him using his atomic breath in some shots, it's like literally like the puppet's rig with like a air compressor or something, and and that's like pumping out that air. Oh, um, cool! But there's also like right. straight up like rotoscope traditional. Yeah, that's that's animation. what I figured it was for some of it. So that's yep. cool. Yeah, because now you get these uh, shots of his fins glowing before he breathes the fire, and um, really like these. I mean, it's 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 scary to think about how relatable some of these images would have been to yeah, people yeah. around this time. But Honestly, you, it it's it reminded me of like whenever whenever movies do the especially in like the late two thousands do like the the shot of a street where a bunch of like dust fills it up, like nine yeah. like eleven. It's right. it's it's honestly it's not dissimilar to that, which makes sense. Totally, you know, yeah. Pull, you, pulling from from real life tragedy. Yeah, you get these shots of. Like people just wilting under his breath mm -hmm. with like yeah. fire uh, superimposed over it. Um, yeah. There's like a 
shots of like firefighters who should be saving people dying in a car crash and being like unable to do anything there's like that iconic shot of like a mother with her children basically saying hey we're gonna meet our father you know your father now so like yeah like in the dark you know you think of like what we were saying earlier how it's like you think about godzilla you think about him hopping up and down or doing a giant swing like wrestling moves yeah (laughs) and uh, sliding on his tail you know yeah it's crazy to think um how this was the kind of inception of where that would go (laughs) but yeah i think honestly rambo is a pretty good uh comparison yeah yeah Mm Yeah, and that's uh that that kind of leads us to our final act where we have to had to figure out how we're gonna how we're gonna beat godzilla Mm -hmm. this this unstoppable force now yeah the 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 character development here uh mm-hmm. where um Emiko breaks her promise to uh Serizawa Serizawa made her promise not to tell anybody and his conflict here is that we find out that this is a device called the oxygen destroyer yeah, and um it's a, an cool. invention he basically created on accident it seems but he realizes that if anyone were to find out about this it would basically spell doom to humanity just like the atomic bomb or the hydrogen bomb he knows basically like every nation of the world would like would be begging him for this um yeah he uses a weapon of war yeah and oh man talking about well shot scenes this is like the whenever we see like we see the full scene of her in the lab with Sarazawa yeah. and everything. It is like, everything's at a Dutch angle. It looks, mm-hmm. it literally looks like Frankenstein's lab. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, um, dude. Great. Great. Reference. Uh, and, uh, there's, I, I, I love the thing that old movies do where like whenever it's a close up and like, you can tell the lights like just on their eyes or like just on part yeah, of their face. Yeah. I love that. It's really it's, great stuff. It's so good. It's so good. And I'm then, sure there's a, a f- film, a filmy term for that. And I don't know, but, I looked it up after the fact, and apparently it's just called highlight, kind of like highlight, I guess. It's cute. Well, and yeah, there's the hate, the sort of hazy filter that they usually use for close up yeah. of, of ladies. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple things too at, at the end of that the the big sequence that I didn't mention. I I love seeing the fighter jets pasturing Godzilla. <laughs> there's oh, a whole yeah. like sequence, like when they finally get him to leave, where there's all these fighter jets tossing little. They look it's like bottle rockets or something you know like but those are the missiles attacking Mm -hmm. godzilla and then um we haven't mentioned uh ifukube too much but i feel like just Uh, after that obligatory yeah yeah there's the whole the city recovering from this tragedy and it's um it starts off quiet and it's just completely just ifukube's score um showing you the destruction showing you people like you know trying to help each other and uh i think that's really really effective and um he's a he's a huge important part uh of what makes this movie special yes the music is so good in this movie and that that main thing you hear it like a dozen times but it's so good and it's in that really weird like time signature and stuff it's so and it's it's so i mean it's really just aesthetically so snug with everything else in the film that we're talking mm-hmm. about, which is like, this isn't a rub your hands together. Ooh, goody. What a fun, like monster. It, it's terrifying. It's, it's a true, mm-hmm. like, yeah, horror. And, um, maybe there is something a little bit unfortunate of, um, of what kind of progresses with the character. And, and luckily this, this theme is really well remembered, but, 
I kind of wonder if it didn't end up morphing the way that other really scary, um, you know, musical textures have, I don't know, evolve into something that kind of loses its, its impact. I remember John Williams mentioning that if you play the shower scene, like from psycho in a, in a concert that, um, people will actually laugh and that, yeah, I think he found that it got to a point where if you were yeah. to program jaws, you'd get kind of a similar, um, yep. reaction, yeah. but it's, where things been parodied so much that that's almost what you associate yeah. with. And it. maybe it's also that kind of, um, some of the, the defense that we take up as humans, like, Oh, I'm not really scared. Actually. I'm, I'm so yeah, above. It's actually, it's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, in the context of this film where, yeah, it really feels like we have this music that's just like so wedded to these particular sequences. Mm. It's just, yeah, just so powerful. There's an interview with uh, Ikifukube, and he says uh, that uh, what became Godzilla's theme originally wasn't even planned to be that. And um, uh, but I mean, here we are, like just what you're saying, you know. Um, I, I love that theme. Actually, it's funny, yeah. like. There's the legendary Godzilla movies and Godzilla King of the Monsters, which was the second one. Um, I wasn't following it at all, and we went to the theater to see it. And these are like what I was saying, how these are big, dumb versions of what we're seeing here. And um, what I didn't know, though, was that Bear McCreary, the composer for that film, was using (laughs) material from... And a huge fan of the original And Yeah. Yeah, and I had like... I don't know, like one of the happiest moments of him yeah. in a theater when I realized, oh my God, what he's using it and the way that it's set up in the scene just like really, oh man, it was so cool. But anyways, like those yeah, are, those I, are no, really... I, I think Bear did. Yeah. Just yeah. a wonderful, mm-hmm. wonderful job with that. It, it almost is like my favorite thing to come out of these new movies is that, that oh, those totally really that. nice versions yeah. of those. But oh, um, I, really quick too, we're leading into the finale now, but one of the things that I always thought about, and I can't believe I haven't seen it, but I feel like it should exist is the oxygen destroyer, you know, put it in the water and it bubbles up. And um, have you guys ever had like an aquarium or anything? There's, mm-hmm. you know, in the aquarium, there's like, uh, you can get like a, I don't know, like a treasure chest or a shell. That yeah, yeah. Oxygenates things. Mm-hmm. How is there not an oxygen destroyer version? <laughs> like for your so aquarium. Little. That would be the coolest shit. And I don't know why I haven't seen that. <laughs> That's funny. It definitely feels like a Spencer's yeah. gifts. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I want it. Oh. That and and just uh, this is a pretty famous anecdote, but I feel like just obligatory. Got to say it. Ivakube also he he wasn't the main sound effect guy, but he did the famous roar for yeah. Godzilla by by having a really detuned double bass and dragging a leather a hand with a leather glove in it across it. Very famous story, but it's still but yeah, really really cool. No, thanks, and so and such a unique sound. Yeah. For for a roar. Oh man, yeah. It sounds and like for this. the arrow too. <laughs> <laughs> I think that should Whoa. come across right. Sorry. I don't know. If it if it didn't, for folks at home, Carlos played that on a soundboard. So if that did it did it both well, I'll still I'll still play there. So. <laughs> nice. That's um, funny. Yeah, it sounds like nothing else. And you mm-hmm. think about I don't know, like how it kind of it could have just influenced sound design in different yeah. ways. Like, I mean, you guys probably know more than me about Star Wars, but that whole, like, TIE Fighter stuff and, yeah, like, yeah. how they kind of 
you take a sound that you wouldn't think would work in a certain way and recontextualize it and it sounds like something else and then i yeah I think this that's... sort of borderline between music and sound effect and instrument and microphone and everything yeah 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 really cool um okay so um Ogata and Emiko uh, come back to Sarazawa and they're pleading with him. And uh, like I said, she reveals that she broke her promise. And um, this plays out in such a great way. You you really get a great understanding of Sarazawa's pains that he's dealing with. And he honestly just doesn't... It, it's like he, he completely understands that he's going to have to die. Like, um, and the, the way the scene plays out is it, it's beautiful because they're not talking about their relationship there. Emiko's not talking about how she feels about him or how she feels about Ogata, but they're talking about the, the, the severity of the situation with Godzilla, but it's completely kind of mirroring how this love triangle is kind of this tragic love triangle. And I, I, I love how they handle that without even addressing it. And that's really cool. Right. Um, and just where it lands, where Sarazawa, he doesn't say I'm gonna die, but everybody, you can see it on their face that he know that they know this is where yeah. this is going. I I think it's right. incredibly well handled here. Yeah, and that kind of brings us to our finale. Yeah, and then also a, a great musical moment too. Oh, that's right, that's the, the, right. Yeah, yeah that's Sarazawa isn't. Yeah, he's not completely convinced, but then. There's like a broadcast where it's this this uh, girls choir singing like this really sad song yeah. about like all the tragedy they experienced, mm-hmm. and that's what made Sarazawa be like, okay, that's I'm gonna I'm gonna burn all my research, make a big oxygen destroyer, and then die. Yep, he's also got a really great um kind of reaction too, and he's like, I I wish I never would have invented it. He like almost yeah. falls apart on on camera right yeah. there. I, mm-hmm. I really like that. So um he yeah, he he decides to make this and he decides that him and Ogata are going to go to where Godzilla is. They use a Geiger counter to determine where Godzilla is taking a nap. He's straight up just chilling. <laughs> He's like, "Oh, what a nice day. I'm just going to relax." They're literally going to his house to kill him. <laughs> yep. And uh yeah, they they take a dive and here we see some underwater footage. Um, different mm-hmm. techniques here. Some of them you can see that it's kind of like a, uh, you know, water like scenery, like in the foreground where they're shooting regular behind it. Yeah. Um, there's a couple of shots here where it kind of is like you see water splashing on the glass in the foreground, which kind of takes you a little bit out of it. <laughs> but I still think it's it's really cool. Oh, yeah. And um, cool. yeah, Sarazawa makes the decision to stay underneath and Ogata is pulled above and Sarazawa sacrifices himself uh, to uh, the shock of everyone above. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I love this too, because uh, I was showing this to Joanna and um, I don't think she had ever seen it before. And, and you definitely know that Godzilla is dead at the end of this movie. <laughs> yeah. And Joanna was like, what? And I was like, yeah, that's right. <laughs> So uh, you see, so uh, a nice... franchise, yeah. yeah. So like an eighty-year franchise begins. Yep, just like uh, what Final Fantasy, right? Yeah. <laughs> the la- the first of so many was supposed to be the last, but not necessarily yeah. here. This film was just incredibly successful, and um, there are a lot of stories about people waiting hours to get tickets to see it. Yeah, and um, 
And of yeah. course, the last the last line of the movie is uh, Yaman, Dr. Yamane saying, like, as long as they keep doing nuclear testing, another Godzilla could show up. Yeah, I love that. And it doesn't even seem like this kind of wink to the camera thing. It seems yeah. like the the message is yeah, just... Yeah, the message is, hey, stop, <laughs> stop yeah. blowing up horrible bombs in the middle of the ocean. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And... Yeah, this movie is just like an all timer. I, honestly, oh, it's yeah. I mean, if you can get past, you know, these kind of ideas about, oh, there's a guy in a suit or, oh, this yeah. looks kind of hokey. I honestly yeah. feel like it's one of like a handful of movies I'd consider are like almost perfect. Oh, and yeah. just how Dude, yeah, the artistic classic. Yeah. Artistic vision is handled. The mm-hmm. messaging is really important, but also can anybody can just understand it and it just is kind of perfectly balanced in so many ways. I, I love this movie a lot. And yeah. um, we haven't even talked about the American version, and we can talk about that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we can, we can briefly do that. So, yeah, it's, um, um, yeah I, I actually watched that too for, for this, for preparation for the show. I watched that literally earlier today. Oh, um, nice. But it's it came out in 1956, and it's called Godzilla, King of the Monsters. And uh, if you, you can also watch it on YouTube for free. Um but yeah, it it is it takes all the footage from this the nineteen fifty four movie and kind of splices in like this extra story about a uh, an American reporter in Japan named Steve Martin is the yeah. uh, the character's name. Yeah. He's played by Raymond Burr, which actually, yeah. um, if you've seen Rear Window, he's like the 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 murderer guy and and he was perry whoa spoilers (laughs) yes yeah and yeah of course perry mason yeah yeah Um, but yeah and it's 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 really interesting because i was going into it fully expecting it to be like this horrible bastardization like everyone like acts like it is and it's obviously it's not you know it cuts out a lot of the kind of anti-nuclear message and stuff like that but it keeps a lot of the footage from it it, it does do the goofy, I think Carlos uh, compared it to Game of Death, where yeah. it's a lot of like oh, people sure. shot from behind, and then whenever you see their face, it's very obviously different film stock and mm-hmm. yeah. all that. Yeah, but I think it kind of lives on its own in a way, because it's mm-hmm. like from this, you know, older era, and um, I think... Yeah, if it were if there were a choice, I would always watch the original version. Oh yeah, but um, yeah, and I think you you said this earlier too. If if that one was on, I would probably watch it. You know, if it was like <laughs> yeah, either that or you know, infomercial or something. You know, yeah, like, exactly. Yeah, of yeah. course. Um, so and I, given that it came out just a couple of years after, like we've talked so much on this show about yeah. media from Japan that didn't come over for decades, mm-hmm. right? And the there. fact that this came out just a couple of years later, and you know, obviously Godzilla is an international phenomenon, so like that's um, a lot of American films were influenced by that. There were American Godzillas later and stuff. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure all of that was people watching this version. Yeah, mm. I didn't see the original version of Godzilla probably until like late 90s, early 2000s. Mm. Up until that point, and I mean, I was a kid, so I loved all of this stuff. Um, the original Godzilla film was, you know, King of the Monsters. And that's yeah. what I think yeah. pretty much everybody was watching here. And, well, and um, at this point in time, it's also an open question, like how... Uh, how you how would you bring uh, yeah. we're not only talking about like an international film to market but specifically a um a japanese film and i think one of the most fascinating things about the second half of the 20th century is how how stunningly quickly like 
both of these cultures cohere after such an abominable tragedy it's like yeah like not just a war but a yeah it still just defies like so much um sense and really from from both sides like you'd expect all kinds of bitterness and trauma and different sort of complicated feelings that uh don't always seem to be at play and if anything you see the cross-pollination between the two cultures really start to pick up in earnest um and I don't know. I I think, yeah, there there is a little bit more more balance. I think in King of the Monsters than you might be expecting. That's not to kind of forgive any um, any kind of the misguided yeah. side of it. But I think the 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 the, the biggest sins to me are that uh, they were they were cutting up Ishiro Honda's vision, and um, yeah. I I don't think he even gets a credit in it, which is insane. And uh, Ifukube the version I also, watched did. It okay. said that he was he was also it, it was says directed by the whoever the American guy is and then and okay. Ishiro Honda. Yeah. So so those are like the biggest things. The the things I think are interesting though is that you would expect it all of the Japanese dialogue to be dubbed over, but mm, it does yeah. this interesting thing where you know they're kind of playing up that Steve Martin this character is visiting a different country. So um only the main characters he's speaking with are dubbed into English. A lot of the other dialogue from the background characters or other characters, they'll be in the original Japanese, and then he'll have a guy by him telling him what, yeah. what's happening, which is an interesting uh, decision. And I think that um, as the years would go on, you would just get everybody dubbed over. And even back then, I would think that yeah. w- that would happen too. So it's that's that's what I think is interesting about it too. I don't know. It's it's cool. And um it's just yeah, like you like you guys are saying it's interesting to see how that was and I mean Godzilla King of the Monsters was a huge hit also. You know, right. like it's totally. it's cool to think about that where you know a lot of material was still left in even though it was all chopped up. Like yeah. um the recovery and also scene for, for like, everything that's maybe wa- washed over, it's still you can't watch the movie and not realize like this is a Japanese based Japanese originated idea. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, the the movie kind of does this and medias res thing where the movie starts yeah. with the aftermath of the second act. And then that's what kind of pulls you into the story. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, that's an interesting choice too. And it kind of, it's kind of fun to see them both because they kind of both are, you know, different. I, I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. It is, it is interesting as a, definitely as a curiosity. Yeah. And fun fact, do you know who did some dubbing for Ogata and Sarazawa? In that oh, movie? James Hong, right? James Hong. Yeah. Oh, nice. That's like you a know, pretty early, an early thing from him. It was That's funny because so cool. I, I was just talking to Alberto earlier today and he was, I was telling him we we're going to be recording and he's like, oh Yeah. He's like, isn't George Takei in that? And I was like, oh, really? I was, I don't know, like, because I didn't look. <laughs> but then when I looked it up, um, George Takei is one of his like earliest documented roles are dub really? voices for Rodan. Oh, and oh, for wow. Godzilla Raids again. So, oh, very cool. I'll have yeah, to look that up. It's pretty exciting. And Alberto, he, he definitely has a very unique voice. So. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Can't miss um, Rodan's really cool. cool. I don't know if you guys have ever seen it, but it's cool to see these early like. To, like once Godzilla was really popular, where they go with it, and this is something that we'll be talking about a bit. Um, I I've, I'm in these like different minds because, of course, we're you know we had to cover this film. Godzilla is so important to all, everything that's going to follow it, but for one 
I was thinking, oh, maybe we should just do Ishiro Honda films, or two, maybe we should just do kaiju films and kind of branch out. But there's really so much to cover. I think we're just going to stay on the the road of Godzilla and see where that takes us. Yeah. But Rodan's really cool, and Mothra's really cool. Because <laughs> they all exist in their own, and then they're folded into Godzilla. Yeah, they kind of become like a, a monster yeah. cinematic universe. Yeah. So if you awesome. have like, I think they're still all like on Max or whatever. It's not HBO Max. It's on Max. That's right. It's Max. Yeah. A lot of those films are available to stream, and I'd mm-hmm. I'd recommend them. Rodan's really cool. It's kind of like this tragic kind of thing, and um, I don't know. If, I think we mentioned it on our Halloween episode, but the. The Mantell incident, the UFO incident where there's a fighter yeah, yeah. like jet guy f- tailing this. They actually kind of call to that in Rodan because oh, like cool. at the beginning oh, of Rodan, man. they're playing up this mystery of what this flying thing is. And you've got a, a scene where there's a fighter pilot that's kind of chasing after it. And that's it's pretty cool. Eat. Yeah. There's a lot to talk about, but I think we yeah. covered like most of the notes. Not most yeah, of them, a but of, a lot of the a notes. Of, yeah, really? Yeah, yeah a good, a really good uh, groundwork. And we'll tell you what we're going to talk about next week after we do some plugs. So uh, do we have any final thoughts before I jump into that? Um, one thing is a, like a stupid thing. You know, we covered Project A. Our mm-hmm. April Fool's episode was Project <laughs> AI. Uh-huh. Then we covered Project ACO. And um, originally when Godzilla was in the planning phase, it was called Project G. And uh, <laughs> so there we go. There you go. The G stood for giant, not Godzilla. Uh, but I was going to say, does the G stand for Godzilla? <laughs> the extra B a is a typo. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> we've, we've, been, we've been getting the Simpsons reference in the last, in the last like 10 minutes, <laughs> the past yeah. several episodes. Nice. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely recommend that Ishiro Honda book. Um, and let's see. Uh, I, yeah, we pretty much got it. the oh the the suits in each Godzilla film or in series of Godzilla films. Um, the fans would come to name them, and uh, one of the names that they call this one is Shodai Goji, which is like the first Godzilla. So um, over the years, Godzilla's design changes, and um, this one is kind of iconic in its own way, and I mean, understandably so. We see how it is. It looks so rough, and it looks it so look kind of lumpy yeah. and kind of looks like a mistake in a lot of ways <laughs> but i think that really works for the the emotion mm-hmm. that it, it gives you yeah uh well thank you so much for checking out our episode here if you enjoyed it then leave us a review on whatever you're listening to this on like itunes or spotify or i guess apple Podcasts. you know whatever it is leave us a review please you can follow us on facebook instagram and twitter we're at here is the number three podcast on all three of them um, and you can shoot us an email at here's the number three podcast at gmail.com. Do you have a interesting Godzilla story? Did you happen to meet a, a legendary uh, <laughs> special effects artist? Please let us know. Here's the number three podcast at gmail.com. Uh, actually, speaking of weird run ins, I didn't like talk to him. I just saw him walk in front of me. But I actually did see uh, George Takai once at Dragon Con. Oh, oh dude, nice. Uh, he was because the oh, line my. for his, his booth. <laughs> The line for his booth was was crazy long, and I was like, eh, that's a little much. Uh, but then we were just walking out, and he just he had his guys around him, and he was walking over, and he had a big smile on his face. Was, nice. I was like, oh, hey. Oh, dude, that's awesome. Just looked up, and I'm like, oh, Mr. Sulu's just standing in front of me. Cool. Um, anyways, so uh, that is it for Godzilla. But next week, Carlos, what is our training to continue this Godzilla look? Yeah, so... um. 
following this film, very quickly, there was a sequel called Godzilla Raids Again. And um, it's okay. Um, yeah, I think it's notable for a couple of reasons. One is that it introduces another monster. Angira shows up in that film. And um, the effects are pretty cool. There's some cool stuff in it. But I think we're going to skip over that. And we're going to move to a next very important film in the series of Godzilla that kind of ties into a lot of the origins. Um, so we're going to be talking about King Kong versus Godzilla. I think a lot of people will be surprised to hear that the third film in the series is Is a crossover crossover with King Kong. So this is from 1962. This Mm -hmm. is also directed by Ishiro Honda. And uh, special effects are also handled by Eiji Tsuburaya. This movie is wild. There's a lot of craziness to talk about. Um, It's problematic. It has beautiful music. Um, there, it also was cut up in a crazy way. There's a U.S. version and a Japanese version, and we're gonna have a lot of fun talking about this movie, dude. Amazing. All right. Well, until next week, we're taking a look at King Kong versus Godzilla. I'm Matthew. I'm Marty. I'm Carlos. And we are the Heroes Three. Remember your training. <laughs> <laughs> Heroes 3 is part of the Mercado Brothers Podcast Network.